cricketing legend, all right. Welcome back to Range Anxiety. A bit of a sad one today. You know, we're talking about cars as usual, but we're also going to talk about a couple of dead blokes because this morning I, I woke up, I went to bed last night and Rod Marsh had just died. Everyone remembers Bold Lily Court Marsh and, uh, or Court Marsh Bold Lily. And then this morning I wake up and uh, SK Warren, probably the greatest, the GOAT, uh, leg spinner anyway of all time, has um, bought the farm as well. So, uh, it was uh, our intro track was the Shane Warne song, Warney put your wanger away from Kevin Bloody Wilson. And speaking of people that are half dead, I have got a co-host today, but I've had to dredge the bottom of the barrel because apparently Babe has got a dose of the spicy cough. That's right, the old COVID. So sitting next to me is, I've got Mark Phillips from PPRE, master of the Wuhan war whistle. Mark, say hello to everyone. Hey world, hey Marty. Hey babe, hey babe. Now what's happened to babe? Well, he got the, uh, you know, when your men share a lot of showers together, oh. you get pretty close and yeah, you can't that... social distance in the shower apparently. <laughs> and Not when he soaps on a rope. Exactly, and you're sharing that rope around. <laughs> wow. Now, <laughs> sorry about that uh, babe. But <laughs> anyway, we're going to get stuck in the option not here. Anyone that's not here, cops it. Now Mark and I go back a long way, back to about 97, 98, so we're old pricks, him not as old as I, um, we're talking about it, but we, we kind of really met through uh, the early drift scene, and what were you drifting back then? My first car was the uh, R33 GDS with a wide body, that was the first car I actually no, drifted. No, wasn't, wasn't, what about your S? Yeah, I, no, I never drifted my F13, S180 or anything out drifting. So you just woke up one day and thought, I'm going to go drifting? Yeah, woke up, bought a $50,000 fully built car in Japan. It's actually a very well built car. Actually built here, but all Japan components. Yeah, I remember it. And uh, everyone knows that car to this day who knows anything about the drift scene. And yeah, went out some practice days, asked some people how to do stuff. And then next thing you know, a year later, I'm teaching them in trainer days. Yeah, like it, you kind of, I remember when you got that car, it started out pretty neat and cool. And you kind of slowly destroyed it over a, a period of a few years, didn't you? Yeah, it was a good, good <laughs> progression of uh, destroying and then breaking parts and then car parts getting stolen from workshops up in Queensland at drift meets. It was, so, a, it was a fully built RB25 wasn't it? Yes that was yeah that was a uh, RB25 had R Apex yeah. the RX6 turbo on it yeah all the fruit yeah um, none of no Australian made stuff or Chinese made stuff back then it was all Japanese stuff. And when is the first time you blew it up because babe talks tells me all these horror stories of when you had to fix it all the time. Oh, the first time I blew it up, there were mainly big end bearings. We were running yeah. a certain sort of oil, which uh, very off the shelf oil, and we put it down to that because everyone else that was running that oil was doing ring bearings, whether it was on a VB Commodore. You remember the old, uh, yeah, the rally driver who was driving his VB around, doing really well. He had the same oil oh, that's bearing. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, was, it, was it Barry Lowe? No. No. Um, yeah. Anyway, he he was used to race Dazdas. Didn't he? That's in, in a rally. Yeah. I forget who nice it was. Nice older bloke. Yeah. Brought a lot to the scene. Great. Then. Great driver. Oh, he, he can drive a VB around competing up with a uh, $50,000. I normally drink VBs. <laughs> yeah. He was driving a VB. I remember it was dark blue, wasn't it? Yes, it was. And he used to throw it, and people are going, Commodores can't drift, Commodores can't drift. All of a sudden, Commodores were drifting. They do really well. And so that was about that time I used to do a bit of work in the magazine industry, and um, there was, what was that event? I had, I developed this turbo kit for Commodore and I had a VX Clubby R8, I reckon it was, my blue one. Turbocharger, it's making about 420 or 440 kilowatts at the wheels. And there was some 
drag event on at Adelaide International Raceway. What was that? Correct. It might have been, I'm thinking Gazanats or I'm It was Gazanats. It was Gazanats. It wasn't the 4, 6 and Rotonats. No, because sure. the first time we did Gazanats was the 33. So. Yeah, yeah. So, um, and I, I reckon because Adelaide International was built on what they called a ball ring, it was a short, short oval NASCAR track, right? If you remember. So we had the bowl. And I think because I was involved with the media, these memories are getting really sketchy to me now. <laughs> few men in blacks men in black. later. Yeah, men in blacks, never a good thing. Um, I reckon I spoke to the organiser, I reckon, and so I was doing something for Street Machine, I reckon, at the time. And I said, hey, how about I'll let this pillock, so I knew you quite well then, how about I let this pillock um, put on a drift display? This guy that can drift, Phillips over here, Whiplash, as you were called. You the name, Street Trainer? Yeah, yeah, and I gave you the car, and so what did what did you kind of do? Explain it. At the track or before the track? <laughs> at the track. At the track. Yeah, we uh, went up, approached the bowl, and clutch kick at one end of the bowl, and just set the thing on fourth? fire. That would have been third, I reckon, then, and then the second round run was fourth. It was blazing hard. Yeah. It was a good thing. It was a good thing, and the thing is, the Bogans, you know, when they saw this car come out, it's... Um, Wankers gonna drift it. They went all just took their eyes off the drag racing from then out, were picking their nose, starting to eat it. And all of a sudden, they saw this thing go sideways and smoke pouring off the thing. And I think that you, at that point in time, became like the uh, godfather of V8 drift and the creator of all of the dumb shit that they do at these track cruise events now. Yeah, it was actually quite a monumental moment. Street Machine actually they went haunted, didn't they? First time they'd run a drift something anything to do with drift in their magazine from from memory yeah because they were all standing there going what the hell is this it's a v8 going sideways with smoke pouring off it and that really transformed the scene right about there that was the first v8 drift car even though it wasn't even a, an actual drift car no. it was just a, a bitzer um but it looked good and it, it went good and that's right we didn't have any grunt at one <laughs> stage because the throttle body was hanging off, off the wasn't it? i was saying martin's not making power not yeah, making I'm power shut up, mate you know and you're like, what do you want to do? I'm like, I don't know. It's just not making much power. And uh, Did we, we found, find it out there? Out there we found it, yeah. The throttle body was just flopping around on it. <laughs> <laughs> a bit of a boost leak, you yeah. know, the size of your fist. Um, yeah, and that, after that time, um, Bogans really jumped on board. And we saw, we saw as Japanese stuff started to get a bit scarcer and more expensive over the years, your natural car to build was a VE, wasn't it? That's correct, yeah. They were doing that. And then if you couldn't build a VE and you had a, a, a jack car, yeah. what would you do? You'd put the, the LS out. in it. Exactly. Yeah. And that's when it all started happening. Yeah. And, you know, that was also, I think, the thing that opened the Bogan sized to turbocharging V8s in that platform anyway as well. Because people didn't, you know, run a blower this, blower that. Right, I'm put a and all of a sudden, turbo V8s now, like every time I see something advertised online or open a magazine, I see a copy of that initial idea that we had way back then, you know? Correct. Yeah, the old Gen T single turbo would have to be the most copied aftermarket part in the Commodore scene. Oh, 100%. And yeah. the noise that came along with it. People are used to hearing the, the uh, V8 noise, yep. but to hear it with a, a whistle and yep. actually blazing tyres and they, struggling. And they sound really weird because we had a crossover pipe I mean, actually, you've copied that kit as well. What am yeah. I talking about? Yeah, 100%. <laughs> <laughs> um, because they've got a crossover pipe, you've got unequal length headers, so they actually sound like a real big, ballsy WRX, actually. If you yeah. can compare it to that, yeah. Yeah, so but... they've got that throb sort of... <laughs> exactly, they do, yeah. You can they, tell one. They like big pull. They like the throb. They do. Yeah. They do. 
that's why I think Big Paul, I mean, he had uh, one of those kits right back then, and he still has one, and you've actually got a remake of one that's probably done a lot better now with bigger pipes and everything else. Um, and yeah, it's, it's funny how that's really progressed. So you ended up keeping the R33 and you ended up as part of that Drift Australia series, didn't you? Yeah, that was right. I did that for two or three years. Wow, and that was expensive, wasn't it? You had to buy franchises or something? You had to, yeah. But I was quite fortunate because I'd been in the game for a while. I had some good sponsors on board at that time. Was it federal? I had federal tyres, so yeah. I was uh, one of the first... Sponsored, fully sponsored tyre drivers in the uh, in Get Australia. Yeah. My sister met up with my sister and Paul. Actually, went and met the uh, people from Federal Japan and struck a deal while I was at work. Were they Japanese? Yeah, they were. Yep. Yeah. We made the uh, 2009 Federal Calendar, International Calendar, with all the other oh, drift drivers. Wow. Still got that stuff at home now, and and yeah. Next thing we know, we had fifty thousand dollars worth of tyres in a container, rocked up at the local tyre shop for us to uh, collect. Wow, that's crazy, isn't it? it so was. you didn't have to do all of the... Was it a, a 595, the Federal? Correct, 595, yeah. RS 595. Didn't you used to run them backwards on the rim? We did, because they had the, the V-type design. Once, when you hit the uh, the e-brake, handbrake to initiate the slide, it can peel up from that, that little corner edge and then peel the tyre off. You run them backwards, you don't have that pickup. Yeah, yeah. So what was the... So I remember, because that was televised series, right? Um, was it Boatwright? Ran that yes, series, that yeah, yeah, okay, and um, Amy Boatwright as Correct. well was yep, involved. Was helping. They, I knew of them, or I knew them because they were involved in circuit racing at a reasonable level many years before. So, the Boatwrights were, yeah, they, they only had to organise an event, but you did it for two or three years. What, what was the highest place you ever finished? I came second to, uh, which I'm quite happy to come second to him. He's one of the best drivers, probably, in in Australia for sure. Uh, Bo, yeah, yep, Bo was a. Uh, in his, what was in his, like, 86, and I reckon? Yeah, yeah, I've, I've heard some funny stories about him. Oh, he's a Mango funny boy. guy. Oh, yeah, Mangos. what a great guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's, he is one of the... Yeah, one of but the he was a natural, too. He know? was. So that was a local event here in, in, in uh, Manila. So, yeah, came second in the right. podium. That's my, wild. My first drive for Phillips Performance Lighting, too, it was. So, that was good. Phillips Performance Lighting. Explain that to me. Well, yeah, um, Boatwright got in contact with me and said, look, we've got some sponsors that want to get into some drivers, and uh, oh. they've... Phillips well, and Phillips. Exactly, so. Yeah. Aren't they like a Dutch company or something, Phillips? I they think. were, yep. yeah. Wow. So that was good. That's crazy stuff. So you got a second, and that, you know, people go, oh, I knew some guys that were re pretty reasonable drivers that couldn't even make the top 10 half the time, you know, to to, to get second place was, was a pretty good thing. Um, so what happened there in the end? Why did it all kind of fall over? What Explain that. Well, I can only speak for myself mainly, but what happened is if you were part of the Drift Australia series, they prohibited you from running in any other event. Oh, really? Yeah, so mainly because, well, with the cost to enter each round is about $1,500 yep. for starters, with like no prize money yep. to speak of. And they prohibited you from running another event mainly because they had the TV coverage. They didn't want people damaging their cars in an event before, <sighs> before their televised event. Did they had like certain appearance levels you had to keep of the car? Not that I'm aware of. No. I didn't see like no. dingbats running around without front bars and stuff though back then. No, because if they could afford a front bar, they could afford it into the event. That was a yeah, thing. yeah, yeah. So yeah. they had a higher level of car. Yeah, the cars look good. They did. Yeah, a lot of actually people who own cars and then other the drivers drove for them. Yeah, and that was a good thing because got some people in some seats and 
whatnot. Yeah, you probably didn't take that next step with it though, like um, Pickering did, but we'll, we'll get on to him, the Corporal Pickering, a bit later. But um, it was funny to see the level of the drivers change across Drift Australia because some of the OG drifters in Australia, a couple of them went on to be really, really good and a couple of them just got, the rest of them just got blown away. That's correct. I watched that happen. So there were some young guys that were obviously naturals at it and I suppose you were one of the younger ones back then that just um, blew some of these older guys away and they never kind of recovered from that. I remember watching it going, yeah, this old bloke's going to win this and nah, didn't even get close. No. Uh, a good example of that, remember Queensland Raceway in the F6? Yeah. Who was the driver of that? Paul would know the answer for that one. Um, but, um, yeah, I remember that. First corner, went to initiate a slide, BX supercar driver. That's went to right. initiate the slide, it didn't slide, went straight into the wall, Binder. Been the car for Ford, wow. actually Ford Racing sponsored car. I mean, there's only one guy I know that, that's a top level driver that is actually good um, drift guy as well, and that'd be um, Ben Gisberg. 100%. Because he. He wasn't, I mean, he's obviously doing a lot of motorsport even back then as a kid in New Zealand, but um, he first made his name in Drift, didn't he? What that's, did he? that's how I first found out about him. Yeah. Like, okay. Who was this guy? Came out of nowhere. Big. Could he actually do it? Oh, he could do it, no worries at all. Yeah, okay. And he taught, he taught a few people a few lessons. Yeah. It's not some sort of sport where you can take over from, you know, go-karting, you go to yeah. circuit racing. It's, yeah. There is no crossover. It's a whole different way of learning you do you go against what you learn we always see we, we call that i mean the industry we call that a paradigm shift where it's so different that when you do it everyone starts from zero 100 percent. you know and it, those that can will and those yep. that can't won't yes so everyone starts from zero it doesn't matter how much how good you can clip an apex it's or pass somebody it's a totally different state i found that out from i tried circuit <laughs> yeah. racing and i was terrible <laughs> yeah well you get some guys that are like that and you get the real good ones that can just do anything and they're probably good on a motorbike as well, you know, whatever. Um, so, yeah, so what I got off track there, what ended up, um, I know bad, bad, obviously, mechanical support from, um, you know, Babe. A bit useless. Just give him a hammer. Crew chief. Crew, that's right. Paul Crew Chief. Yeah, crew babe. Yep. Hell's on. Um, so I know he wasn't the reason you stopped doing it. So why did you stop doing it? Um, I said when it stops being fun, I'm not going to do it anymore. Yeah. And... Just the stress from having to try to make each round to for the sponsors, and I was still working full time. You know, I was in the Holden factory then, yeah. And taking time off, there's only so many times that your apartment can flood, and you've got to go home on early on a Friday <laughs> to drive to Melbourne, and you yeah. only got so many grandmas that you can say you got to go away for because yep. they're sick. And yep. when it stopped being fun, is when I said I'm going to stop doing it. And when the series finished, I'm I'm not going to do it again the next year. I got offered yep. a drive. I didn't take the drive up for the same reason as well. It was someone else's yep. car. Yeah. And. And that was it, and I just enjoyed just doing it uh, recreationally, and that yeah, was where, it, where it finished really. Okay, and I think the whole series folded after that, didn't it? They did, yeah. I don't know. Well, do you know why it folded? I'm, I've got no idea. I'm not too sure either. No, I it think just it was, folded. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's cool. <laughs> but yeah, speaking of driving other people's cars, um, <laughs> that same Commodore that you uh, of mine or HSV, highly suspect vehicle, um, that you drifted the bowl in, you actually did a bit of a test on that once and actually had a little bit of an incident it wasn't on a road but yep. yeah a little bit what what happened there that was the night before the actual event it was we were setting it up on the was uh, it this no it yeah wasn't. it was yeah it was the night before so you binned it the night before yeah yeah oh i thought that was an, a later no that was the first time i'd ever driven it so we had those semi-slicks on the front and the semi-slicks right. on the rear because i um being a federal driver then i sponsored a few tires onto that onto that That's vehicle right. and as you know, when you're doing a skid, the rear wheel tyres heat up faster than the front, 
and yep. I came around doing some testing and had a lot of rear grip and no front grip, and we put it into the I put it into the gutter. But you put it in the rear corner into the gutter. Yep. Okay. Because I, yeah, lost understeered. Okay, and I thought you, I thought you I, oversteered. I think I oversteered, and yeah, I just had no, yeah. I had no grip on the front, and just drive it around. <laughs> you know that car was never the same after that. It wouldn't be <laughs> just like that VE I bought off of you. Oh, that's all right. I got you back. Yeah. Um, but that. I think we put it up on the hoist and used an oxy torch and a hammer to try and straighten the rear subframe, didn't yep, we? Yep, I think you called it a gas axe. No, it was a cutting tip. Cutting tip. Remember yeah, that? We heated it, smashed it. It was the whole rear subframe was just like glowing orange and I had like pouring water on the inside of the car to stop the carpet catching the light. It was, but you know, okay, I forgot that was the night before the actual event. Mm. We're not really ones to be doing stuff weeks in advance, are we? No, that's right. Um, so, obviously, that was a long time ago, and it was a long time ago that you stopped playing with performance cars, and you went through your you know, different career changes and jobs and everything else, and I'd mainly see you in a trader ute rather than a performance car, until recently, when you found probably, as Paul and I, or Bob um, says, is the pinnacle of the Holden design, you've, you've come back with the Wuhan War Whistle, it's a wine adventure. It was, basically, it was the cheapest LS-powered vehicle I could find at the time. I looked at some VY sedans, but they were all clapped out, some oh, crash yeah. thing from some old people at, out north, and it was yep. actually one that I looked out there, and yep. this was a, a second owner car. Um, it pays, though. It had 305,000 uh, on it when I got it. Pretty honest, I suppose. Yeah, and all the surface records and everything, I'm like, five grand, can't go wrong. LS powered. Wow, five grand. And four wheel drive. And four wheel drive. I had good intentions for it, so uh, yeah. yeah, worked out well. Yeah, that's amazing, isn't it? It's more of an investment these days, buying anything with an LS in it. Yeah, it is, isn't it? Especially when the wreckers want four and a half thousand just for a motor. Yeah. You uh, could take it when you can get it. Yeah, I reckon so. Um, so, what are you playing? I mean, we make, we poke lots of shit at that car, but surprisingly enough, it does run and it does work. And it works great. And, you know, I'm quite jealous that you've actually got away without spreading the thing all over the floor. Um, I mean, the fume, you actually have destroyed it a little yourself because you didn't have to pull the heads off it and you actually did. I think that was a men in black moment. Yeah. Moment. Yeah. yeah, we pressurised the cooling system. Yeah, and, you know, pressurised the cooling system. <laughs> and, um, you know, it just is what it is. Um, so what are your plans for that car from here? Uh, the plans are, all the heads are back on. Just get it back up, get it running, get it reliable. I mean long-term plans. I'm not talking about right now. Oh, just keep it. For that money, I'm not, it doesn't owe me anything, except for a lot of time and knuckles. Yeah. And just keep it, and then uh, just slowly fix it up, back to its former glory, and keep it for yeah. my sons when they're older. Oh, is that what you're going to do with it? Yeah, because I'm going to hang on to that one and keep and keep using it. I'll just park it out in the helipad and uh, look at this fossil sit there. wandering around. You're a little bit distracted by him, aren't you? Yeah, <laughs> I am because it's like get the hell out of my workshop. <laughs> you know, <laughs> people just you know help themselves. And he's been all that time looking for a chamois that was right in front of him. He never saw us sitting there. Yeah, I was a little bit distracted. No, it's great, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> like, Go away. Um, so yeah, you're going to keep that one. Anything else new on the car radar? Well, as you might know, I'm looking at upgrading the uh, wife's territory, and right. with the petrol prices and oh, the kilometres we do, hard, isn't it? I'm looking at maybe some sort of EV. How how many k's would a Katie do a, a week? Do you think? Katie would do. Should I do about five hundred? Four, four to five hundred. Wow. Yeah, probably no more than four hundred. I do seven hundred, hundred or eight hundred a week. Wow. Yeah, thirty. I do thirty-five thousand a year. 
Wow. Mm. So, but you, I mean, you've got a company fuel thing. Exactly. You? So that's whereas Katie's, you're, Katie's paying for hers. Yeah. Um, which is, you know, good, I suppose, but not good. That's and does it, her car runs on ninety one or ninety eight? Ninety one. Okay, well, you're lucky there. But we're predicting with the price of crude at the moment, what's going on in the world, we're predicting that it's to twenty, I reckon, within a couple of weeks for the basic gear. That's a lot of money, eh? That is a lot of money, especially for the old household. You've got to pay fruit and, uh, fruit and veg and that on top of it. Yeah, and kids and everything else. And, like, you know, I, I got the shock of my life the other day. I got a car that runs on 98. I don't drive it very often, but I bought 20 bucks in and got, like, seven litres. Like, what? It got me around the block twice. You wouldn't, you wouldn't take it out, would you? I just don't. Yeah, I mean, I don't like it you anyway. Don't like but no, no, V8s, you know, rubbish. But it just the the actual mindset that it put me in. You put in fifty bucks and you get like eighteen liters. It's like, what is going on here? Like, what are you paying for? Unless yeah. you really enjoy driving that car, and it's like, a... and it uses like eighteen, twenty liters, <laughs> hundred. So you know, you're lucky for fifty bucks. You're lucky to get hundred kilometers. I think you're right because it's cheaper than me having my Wuhan Walrus off the road at the moment. It's less. For parts than it is for putting fuel in the thing. <laughs> yeah, well, that's right. Yeah. So, yeah, I think uh, Mark, we're not going to go too much into what he does, but Mark does a bit of spotting for me, and uh, we get to see some interesting cars coming in from overseas at various mm. locations around the country. And, yeah, I know there's one person in particular that's big in the scene, I'm not going to mention him, that's starting, that imports a lot of cars, and he's starting up a Leaf sub-brand. Really? And that's a lot why you've been seeing. Uh. So there's going to be... Um, like a leaf sub brand importer here that's going to bring in these rancid things from Japan, <laughs> and look, they're going to be sixteen grand without any fuel cost. And I mean, you know, knob jockeys will drift them out and put like, you know, Dayton's and negative camber on them, and you know, slam them, and they will like they did Mitra's. You know, they'll become a quite a culty, fun little car. I think. Yeah, that'd be a good thing. I wonder why we're seeing so many. You're yeah. like, who is bringing this junk in? But. I've seen where they've ended up, which yards they've ended up in, and they just go, bang, like that. They're gone. Why People are buying. And there's good profit to be made on them because the Japs just don't see any value in a leaf. Um, and, you know, once it's, it's just a disposable car to them, and they've got a whole other generation to give over here. Like, I've got that, what is it, an AZ0 or something, which is the, the old shape that looks like a, a, like a smashed frog. Um, I reckon, here's my pick, Phillips. I reckon they were the first um, mass-produced, really, electric vehicle you could buy, um, full stop, before Tesla. Um, and I mean, Tesla only had the Roadster back and uh, the first of the Model S's when the Leaf came out. They were the first EV to sell a million vehicles worldwide, was the Leaf in all of its different forms. I reckon that early girl like I've got, which is the last, it's the last of the early shapes. So it's got the bigger 30 kilowatt pack in it. So it'll do 200 Ks on a charge. Yeah, I reckon they'll be a collector's car one day. There you go. You heard oh, it here first. Heard it here first. You heard it here first. And, you know, while a few people might have a little sick come up into their mouth, um, I reckon that will be a good thing. Well, so write it down. You've heard it here first. You wrote it down. You've heard it here first. People, hey, people would have laughed when I told them, like, you know, uh, uh, a VF Commodore was going to be a good collector's car or, you know, stuff mm. like that. Or an MX-5 would be a good collector's car. But it's often the quirkier cars that do. And the reason I, I base this on is the first of the Tesla Roadsters, which didn't go very far, or but you know, it was still quite fast, actually, based on the Lotus Elise. The ones of those that are left, they only made 3,000 of them, though, mind you. The ones of those that are left is fetching over half a million dollars at auction now, US. What was RRP on them? Uh, about 200 yeah, it was a lot of money back then. a lot then. of money, yeah. 
still a lot of money back then. But, you know, I've got to thank you for uh, taking the time to come on the Epicast today, Mark. We'll make sure it isn't the last time. But honestly, actually, we're not wearing masks. You haven't been, like, kissing or showering with Babe, have you? Oh, not the last 10 days. Oh, thank God for that. And thank you, everyone, for listening to Range Anxiety.